Good afternoon. Welcome to Trinity Word Ministry. And welcome back. We took last week off as a as a holiday, but we are back bigger and better than ever. Well, okay, bigger than ever because I've been eating a little too much, but maybe not better. But today we're going to be reading from Isaiah. We're going to be studying from Isaiah chapter 2. We are going to start in verse 6. But before we get started, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity again to worship, to praise, to honor, to study your word together. Lord, we ask that you'll move on those that are watching, and Lord, those that will watch, Lord, that you'll bless and move as only you can. Lord, that you'll stretch for your hand. And let this video, let this broadcast go where you want it to go. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. Again, we are reading from Isaiah and studying from Isaiah chapter 2, starting with verse 6. Therefore thou hast forsaken thy people, the house of Jacob, because they be replenished from the east and are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they please themselves and the children of strangers. Isn't it ironic, though, that the children of Judah are seeking to discern their future from soothsayers? Therefore thou hast forsaken thy people in the house of Jacob, because they replenish from the east, and are soothsayers like the Philistines. They're trying to discern their future using soothsayers. But God had clearly told them that there would be no future without him. The children of Judah had accepted the practice of the surrounding countries and allowed every ideology to influence their culture. It is clear from other scriptures that the surrounding areas, especially the land of the Philistines, was influenced by soothsayers. First Samuel 6 and 2, the Philistines called for the priest and the diviners, saying, what shall we do to the ark of the Lord? Tell us wherewith we shall send it to his place. Second Kings 1 and 2. And Isaac and Ahazusaiah fell down through a lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria and was sick. And he sent messengers and said unto them, Go, inquire of Baal's Zebub, the god of Akron, whether I shall recover of this disease. Now that's the king of Israel, and he's asking for them to go to another God to see if he would recover. We can throw rocks all we want to, and we can you know, badmouth them, and we can laugh at them, but we do the same. How many of us reads our horoscopes of a morning to see what the day holds? Or we'll go to palm readers. Oh, but it's a spiritual palm reader. There is no such thing as a Christian palm reader. Now, they may be spiritual, but what spirit are they following? That's the question. Careful, because God said that all of the soothsayers, the witches, if you will, those with a familiar spirit was going to be killed. And even in, in days of King Saul, the first king of Israel, he went to the witch of Endor to see what his future held. We don't need to go to witches. We don't need to turn to the horoscopes. We don't need to look at the astrology charts. 
Now, there is a huge difference between astrology and astronomy. But we do not need to go and, and try to figure out what moon or what Jupiter or whatever is in our zodiac. It's hogwash. Find out from God. He will let you know what you need when you need it. He will deliver you and he will put you on the right path if you allow him to. But so often we think we know what's best. We think we know the direction in which we should be going. We don't. We don't have a clue. We get lost so easily without God. But with God, we can't be lost. The king was the king of Israel, and even he sought out false gods. Saul was the king, and he sought out false gods. We make everything a god this day and age. But the children of Judah in Isaiah's time had turned to witchcraft, had turned to the mediums, had turned to these soothsayers or the seers or whatever you want to call them. They are by no means prophets of God. Verse 7. Their land also is full of silver and gold. Neither is there any end of their treasures. Their land is also full of horses. Neither is there any end of their chariots. The land of Judah was a very powerful country, politically, materially, and militarily. There were great riches in their country, that riches that seemingly had no end. Wealth was, about, was bountiful. Their horses and their chariots, they had a powerful military. And yet they relied on that. Who gave them the powerful military? Who gave them the riches, the abundant riches? Well, you could say, well, it was the other countries that they traded with. Well, that's where they got it from on earth. But if it hadn't been for God influencing and giving them favor with others, they would not have grown as fast as they did. Let's look at the country that I live in, that you live in, if you live in America. In such a short span of time, we have become a superpower. But so many put their faith in the military. Yes, our military is awesome. It's very powerful. A lot of people put their their faith and their trust in the money in the banks. But how many banks has failed in 2023 just by just this year alone? We cannot put our faith and stuff in what man has done. We have got to put our faith and trust in God alone. Even God told us not to rely on the chariots from Egypt and not to rely on the horses these things can let you down and these things can be destroyed. But God will never let you down and God will never destroy you. The land of Judah was a very powerful and I don't 
state that lightly. It was a very powerful and rich nation. But maybe it had gotten so powerful and so materially rich that it forgot about God. Isn't that where most of the countries of the world are today? Haven't we forgotten about God? Verse 8, their land also is full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. The land also is full of idols. We've turned every little thing into a God. Oh, you say, no, you haven't. What do you put your trust and your faith in? What do you spend your time on? What captivates you? What do you turn to for rest and relaxation? Those are some of the things that you need to be looking at as to whether or not they are your gods. You've got to understand that, you know, it doesn't have to be an idol. It doesn't have to be a statue. It can be anything. Your job can be your god. The land was full of idols, graven images that was made by their hands. They believed that the sacrifices and worship of the idols was what allowed them to have the great riches and strength. I don't care. I can talk to a piece of wood all day long, and my wife swears that when she talks to me sometimes, she's talking to a piece of wood. But you can talk all day long, and that wood is not going to do any good. That rock is not going to help you. That statue, that whatever that you made a God out of is not going to benefit you in one way or another. We can make the prettiest statues and there are a lot of people that have talents and can carve and can, you know, weld and construct. But those statues are inanimate objects with no life, no breath, no spirit in them. I don't care how much you say that that piece of art spoke to you. It moved you emotionally, maybe, but it didn't really speak. You felt something, but it was an internal response to an external stimuli. Only God can speak to the heart, can speak to the mind, and speak to the soul. Verse 9, And the mean man bowed down, and the great man humbled himself, therefore forgive them not. Now when you first look at that, you can take that verse and you can take it completely out of context. And the mean man bowed down. Oh, wow, he's gotten saved. And the great man humbleth himself. Oh, wow, he's, he's become less haughty. Let's look at it a little bit. Therefore, forgive them not. Doesn't matter what they're doing. He's God, Isaiah is asking God to bring judgment to both the humble and to the haughty. They each had worshipped a false god. It would take God's judgment to bring them to a place where they would be humbled and even humiliated in man's eyes. 
not God's eyes. He's not going to humiliate you. But in man's eyes, he, it, they, they will humiliate you. You may feel humiliated. But in God's eyes, he's just going to humble you. Because you see, you cannot get anywhere with God thinking you're number one. God is number one. Not you, not me, God. And the mean man bowed down and the great man humbled himself. They are saying, Isaiah is telling us that the mean man is bowing to a false god and the humble man is bowing to a false god, to their idols, to their statues, to whatever, to their gold, to their silver, to their groves of trees, whatever they have created, they are worshiping the wrong god. And that is a little g. They each had worshipped. They had each praised. They had each offered sacrifices. And Isaiah is saying, forgive them not. Enter into the rock and hide thee in the dust. For fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty. The fear of the glory and the majesty of the Lord will cause people to flee to caves to hide from him. But no hiding place will be found. In Revelation 6 and 16, And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb. In the end days, we, those individuals that do not know Christ are going to be looking for a way to get away. They're going to run to the mountains. They're going to run to the caves. They're going to run and see if they can get away and hide away from God. There is no hiding from God. There is no running away from God. The mountains, even if you're under an avalanche, guess what? God knows where you're at. You're in the farthest, deepest, darkest, biggest cave. God knows where you're at. You're in a boardroom of the most magnificent and richest com company in the world. God knows where you're at. You're the king or the president of the most powerful country in the world. God knows where you're at. You cannot hide from God. Enter into the rock and hide thee in the dust. No, for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his man. You're going to fear God or you're going to fear God. There is a huge difference in being terrified of God and having a reverential fear of God. If you are a Christian, you have a reverential fear of God. You understand that God can, and he is the only one, that can kill your body and your soul, destroy body and soul. You understand that God created everything that's around us, everything that we see, everything that we are. God created. From the farthest reaches of outer space, to the very minute cells that we have inside of our bodies, God created it all. And understanding the awesomeness of God and the power of God, that's the reverential fear. Now, if you don't know God, then you should be terrified of him. Because, you see, we don't talk about it much in, in churches but there is a wrath of God, and we are discussing that a little bit here in Isaiah. He's going to destroy the whole world by fire. He's already destroyed it by water. But the next time, 
of fire is going to fall down from heaven and is going to burn up everything that man has touched. Now think about what all that is. What all has man touched? Everything on earth, in earth, and even in space. We've got probes leaving space right now. It's flying through outer space. That fire is going to reach all that way out there and burn up the contamination of man. And then God's going to rebuild it. He's going to replenish it. He's going to refurbish it. And it's going to be a garden of Eden throughout the world. Verse 11, the lofty looks of man shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. God alone is to be lifted up and exalted, not man, not creations of man, but God himself. See, man is imperfect. And our righteousness, the Bible tells us, is of filthy rags. Man's attempts to lift himself up will ultimately fall in the attempt. I've often used the example of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He comes out one day and he looks around and he thinks to himself, and he may even said it out loud, look at what I have done. I have built this. Now there's no question that Nebuchadnezzar was a mighty king. But did he build it? No. God puts in office whom he wants in office. He puts in power whom he wants in power. Nebuchadnezzar believed that he had done it by himself. And God spoke to him and said, no, don't think so. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to lose your mind. And I'm going to use my own words tonight. You're going to lose your mind. And you're going to go out into the fields and eat grass like a wild animal. Until you understand the glory and the majesty of the Lord. And immediately, Nebuchadnezzar believed he was a beast. And he went out into the fields and he ate grass and he ate vegetation and he lived in the wild for seven years. And then he decided, he came back to himself and he said, wait a minute, God did all this, not me. He was immediately restored to his throne. God puts in whom he wants. Proverbs 16 and 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before the fall. We all say pride goeth before the fall, and really you can, I guess, say it that way. But the actual scripture says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Man will be brought low and in line. This will happen. In the last days. Now, individually, God will move on the individual and bring them in line and humble them and break them. But collectively, 
it's going to happen in the last days. When Christ sets up his reign, his millennial reign here on this earth, God will bring man into subjection and will, I don't want to say break their spirit, but he will humble them. Because we will see that we are not anything of an importance. We're really not. We were made in the image, or Adam was made in the image and the likeness of God. But then the sin came. In the Garden of Eden, the eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And from then on, we are made in the image and the likeness of Adam. Until the salvation. Until the repentance. Until the, the vision changes and we no longer look like Adam, but we are to look like Christ. We are to act like Christ. And we are to be Christ-like. That's what Christian means. Now, there are a lot of people out there that's been church hurt. There's been a lot of people that's been, you know, humiliated by Christians. But I want to re-say that. They've been humiliated, disgraced by so-called Christians, and the ones that are calling them Christians are themselves. They are not Christ-like. They pretend to be Christ-like. Verse 12, For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty, and upon everyone that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. Isaiah is prophesying the coming of the Lord. Now, this was 20, Isaiah is about 2,700 years in our past, right now, today. Because he was about 700 years before Christ, and it's been about 2,000 years since Christ. So, Isaiah is 27, approximately 2,700 years ago. And he said, for the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty, and upon everyone that is lifted up and he shall be brought low. He is talking about the end times. He is prophesying greater than 2,000 years into his future. Still in our future. That event has not occurred yet. It will occur, but it has not occurred yet. Now, there, it is true that there are some today that passed away, and they are either in hell or they are in heaven. There is no such thing as purgatory. Purgatory does not exist. You cannot pay someone to pray an individual into heaven or into hell. When you leave here, your last breath here, your next breath is in eternity. Where will it be spent? Isaiah is talking about greater than 2,700 years in his future. We don't know how much longer it's going to be in our future, but I can guarantee you it's a lot closer today than it was in Isaiah's time. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to spend your eternity? You're either going to be in heaven or you're going to be in hell. There is no other options. 
And no, hell is not a party. And no, you cannot dig out of it. The scriptures is very clear that the fire is quenched not and the worm does not die. You're going to be in torment. The rich ruler lift, or the rich man lifted up his eyes in torment, in flames, and asked Abraham to have Lazarus, the beggar that sat daily at his gate, to come with just one drop of water and put it on his tongue. He couldn't do it. Because those of us that go to paradise and those that are already there in paradise, they cannot go to hell. And those that are in hell cannot go to paradise. He could not go with one drop of water and quench the rich ruler's tongue. Well, the rich ruler then said, well, send him back to earth, back to above ground, back to the land of the living, and tell my brothers, do not come. He loved his brothers enough that he did not want them to join him where he was at. That should be very poignant. We should be so willing to tell people about hell and about heaven. We should be willing to talk about these things to our friends and our families, our loved ones and the strangers that we get a chance to talk to. But so often we don't. We want to talk about the weather. We want to talk about sports. We want to talk about anything but God. The message from hell is don't come. The inhabitants of hell don't want us there. They do not want us with them. They want us to go to heaven. That's what the rich ruler said. Tell my brothers, do not come. Isaiah is telling us about this day. He's prophesying of the coming of the Lord. No doubt he believed that the coming of the Lord was imminent in his time. But we're 2,700 years later, and we're still waiting. We're a lot closer now than he was. But just as Isaiah had a job to do, to tell the world about Jesus, about the coming, about the sin, about the repentance. We have that same job. He was looking forward to the cross. We are looking back to the cross. The cross is the junction between the two timelines. Maybe that's why it looks like a plus. Past, plus, present. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this day. We ask, Lord, that you'll move and that you'll touch. That, Lord, whatever, wherever, and whomever, Lord, listens to this broadcast, whenever they listen, whoever they are and wherever they are, God, that you will touch and that you will draw their spirit closer to yours. Lord, not because of who I am, but because of who you are. Lord, that you will use the Holy Spirit to draw men closer to you through this broadcast, Lord. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. Join us next Monday as we continue to study Isaiah chapter 2. And who knows, we might actually finish Isaiah chapter 2 next week. See you then.